0: Thank you for coming to Grace again today. And would you turn in your Bibles to the book of 1 Timothy chapter 5, 1 Timothy chapter 5 this morning. Uh, what we're reading is how to organize a church. And I know that might not sound super exciting. That might kind of sound a little boring in comparison to everything that is happening in our culture today, in our world today. That seem, might seem low on your list. But the Apostle Paul didn't think that was low on the list. And as a matter of fact, the church that you are in, is gonna have more of an effect on you in your life than anything that's happening today. The, the type of church that you are in is going to affect you more than the coronavirus, it's going to affect you more than uh, the protests, it's going to affect you more than anything else worldwide. The church that you are in is going, to, is going to determine the way that you treat your spouse, it's going to determine the way that you love your wife or love your husband, it's going to determine the way you spend your money, where you go on vacation, how you work. The, the, your church is going to determine so much about a Christian's life. And so that's why we are studying that, and that's what this is letter is. Is is all about. I want to welcome the kids. I'm glad we have kids here today. Kids, as I always say, kids make it more fun. They always do. And uh, I'm thinking back to, to elementary school, and there weren't many names that boys would call each other that would start a fight. I mean, you could call each other a lot of barf breath, you know, and numb nugget. And when I when I was a kid, it was you're such a spaz. You're such a spaz. So We could call each other a lot of names, but there was one name that if a boy called another boy this name, the fight was on. If one boy would call another boy a baby, it's like elementary fight club. It is on. Okay, And then those boys grow up a little bit. They turn into teenagers. And when they're in high school... Uh, guys could call each other a lot of different things, but the one thing that they could not call each other was mama's boy. If you call another guy a mama's boy in high school, the, the entire soundtrack of high school screeches to a halt. Everybody pulls out their phones. They turn the video on because they know a fight is on. And then those teenage guys grew up a little bit before. They turn into adults eventually. And guys, we can call each other a lot of stuff. And even if it's a good one, we'll even high-five you for calling us that. But there's one thing that if one guy calls another guy, you better have an emergency room appointment, and that is a sissy. If a guy calls another guy a sissy, the fight is on. And the reason is because nobody wants to be identified with being immature. Nobody wants to be identified with being a baby, with being a mama's boy, with being a sissy. Nobody does. It's it's okay to have fun and do goofy stuff. I think sometimes Tanya wonders (laughs) about my maturity watching my... Pixar movies and eating my cereal (laughs) and all that. But when it comes to spiritual things, God says that Christians should be mature. They should up their game. They, a church, a Christian church, should should be spiritually mature, up their game. And uh, if you're not already convinced of that, let me show you a couple areas where the Apostle Paul does clarify that. And he says, when I was a child, I used to speak like a child, I used to think like a child, I used to reason like a child, because I'm a child, And then, we're talking spiritually, of course, and so then when I became a man, I did away with those childhood things. I grew up, I became mature. That is the goal for a Christian is to mature. And then the Apostle Paul says in chapter 14, verse 20 of 1 Corinthians, brethren, meaning, hey you Christians, do not be children in your thinking, okay? spiritually mature thinking, yet be in, 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 in evil, be immature. Okay? In evil, be don't get professional at being evil. Don't be experienced at being evil. Don't don't grow up in being evil. But in your thinking, you need to grow up. You need to grow up and be mature. And then he, the writer of Hebrews, says it another way. He says, "For for though by this time." You want to be teachers, you have need again for someone to teach you the elementary principles of the oracles of God, and you have come to need milk and not solid food. Basically saying, hey, there's some of you in your church that you should be teaching Sunday school, and yet you would benefit from going to Sunday school because you would learn stuff in Sunday school that you should actually be teaching. You need to elevate yourself spiritually, you need to up your game. You need to be mature spiritually, and you're all eating all the cereal, and you need to be eating some ribs. You need to be eating some steak, you know, some good, solid food, but you're just being a baby spiritually, and that's not the way that it should be. And then you remember a couple weeks ago when we talked about the characteristics of a good pastor, and this is from a couple weeks ago. One of the characteristics of a good pastor is to take pains in these things and be absorbed in them so that you progress, you, you progress, it, the, the word is like an advancing army going towards an enemy. It's it's like a, a frontiersman going across the plains looking for new land. That your progress is evident to everybody else in the church. And that is a calling for every single Christian that they elevate their game spiritually. Wherever you are today, the goal is, is that that by next year at this time you wouldn't be the same place that you are. That you would progress in your in your Christian faith. That you would you would you would be more mature next year than you are this year. And the entire responsibility of spiritual maturity in a church is not only on the pastor's back. And it's not only on the elders back. It also comes from us, the rest of us. The way that that you can identify a mature church, the way that a church is spiritually mature can be seen in two ways. In the way that the church selects its elders and in the way that a church treats its elders. And so this is the topic for today. How do I know if my church is a spiritually mature church? How do I know that? And so for Grace Community Church, this is a way for us to self-identify, this is a way for us to evaluate ourselves. If you're watching on our live stream and this really isn't your church, but your church isn't meeting back again yet, or you don't have a live stream, I'm glad you're here, this is the purpose for it. But you could kind of identify here, is my church a mature church? Or is it eh, not terribly mature and maybe you're going off to college, you graduated from high school, and now you're going to college next year and you're going to have to find your own church wherever you go. Hopefully you can go to college. (laughs) I don't know what they're going to do in the fall about all this. But anyway, you're going to have to find your own church at some point in time. And so how do I pick a church that's right for me? I know that they might have laser lights and they might have fog during the worship music, but how do I know that it's a mature church? Because those things don't tell you much. They just tell you that they have lights and fog, but it doesn't tell you about the spiritual maturity of the church. And so it is these two ways that you can identify if I'm in a mature church or if mine's kind of weak. And this one thing, you don't really think this is a big deal until you are in a church that is different than the one that you are in. Some people are in a church that, is very, that are spiritually immature church, and they don't even know how bad they have it until they go to a church that's spiritually mature And they're like, wow, I didn't even know what I was missing. And in the same way, people are in a a spiritually mature church, if they ever find themselves in a spiritually immature church, they are blown away at the way that it is there because they just, so it's one of those things where you don't know what you have until you don't have it or you don't know what you're missing until you get it, you know, so a spiritually mature church is kind of like that. So let's read what Paul tells Timothy, who's the pastor of this church, young 30-year-old pastor of this church, how to identify spiritual maturity in the church. Let's start reading in 1 Timothy 5, beginning at verse 17. Verse 17. It says, The elders who rule well are to be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who work hard at preaching and teaching. For the scripture says that you shall not muzzle an ox while he is threshing, and the laborer is worthy of his wages. Do not receive an accusation against an elder except on the basis of two or three witnesses, those who continue in sin rebuke in the presence of all so that the rest also will be fearful of sinning. I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus and of his chosen angels to maintain these principles without bias, doing nothing in a spirit of partiality. Do not lay hands upon anyone too hastily and thereby share responsibility for the sins of others. Keep yourself free from sin and no longer drink water exclusively but use a little wine for the sake of your stomach and your frequent ailments. The sins of some men are quite evident, going before them to judgment. For others, their sins follow after. Likewise also, deeds that are good are quite evident, and those which are otherwise, meaning not good, cannot be concealed. Okay, and so this might sound a little cajumbled. I don't even know if that's a word, but we're going to Unconjumble this so that we understand what this means, but just to get your brain thinking in the right direction, this passage talks about the way that a church selects its elders, and then the way that a church treats its elders, okay? And so let's look at the first one first, the way that a church selects its elders, and look at verse 22. Verse 22, the way a church selects its elders, they do that very. They take it seriously. Look at verse twenty-two. It says, "Do not lay hands upon anyone too hastily." So let's stop right there for a minute. Laying on of hands—you might have heard that phrase before—and so in the New Testament and still today a current group of elders, spiritual leaders in the church, once they identify a man that is going to be another leader in the church, they lay their hands on that man. Now, there is no like supernatural power that you know flows through the person and all of a sudden they can, you know, do crazy tricks. It's a symbolic move to identify this man as also being authoritative in the church, being a spiritual leader in the church that that this isn't just grand granted by people, but this is granted by, by God. That's the laying on of hands, identifying a new pastor. A current group of, uh, or a pastor paid elder or a non-paid elder, being a lay elder, they would lay their hands on, on him and now he is now a part of that elder group as well. And so notice it says, don't lay hands on anyone and thereby share the responsibility for the sins of others. Now what does that mean? How can a person take ownership of someone else's sins because that's not um, that's not terribly biblical. Okay, that, that's I know it's in the Bible, but that's not very biblical. Okay? Biblically, we don't take ownership of other people's sins if someone is standing next, next to me and they are completely immoral, completely ungodly, uh, living a completely tragically sinful life and when they go to heaven, they account to God for those things. I don't have to, right? I, don't, it, I am personally responsible to God to confess my sin. I'm responsible to God for the, for the things that I do, but I don't own other people's. Other people own their sin. It's a personal responsibility. Personal spiritual responsibility is what the Bible teaches when it comes to sin or wrong things. And so now that we've got this concept where somebody is sharing responsibility of someone else's wrongdoing, now what is this even talking about? Remember, this is talking about elders who are finding A new elder. And what this is a warning about is that these present elders, if they haven't taken seriously the selection of this new leader in the church, if they haven't taken it seriously, and they accidentally bring in an elder that is disqualified, that they own the the ripples that that causes in his church, in their church. That they own it. Uh, if, you know, if you're not paying much attention to who you identify as an elder, you might get a good guy. You know, you might get a good guy. Hopefully you do. But you also might get a bad guy. When I say bad, I just mean not qualified to be an elder. And so if they lay their hands and they identify a guy who is now an elder in the church, and then that causes damage in the church because of, of him being unqualified, they own that decision in front of God. They own it. Throughout the New Testament and the Old Testament, it talks about godly people. They follow their spiritual leaders. That's a biblical concept. And so when elders select a new elder, that that elder needs to be able to be followed. And that's the way that it should be. You should follow your elders. Um, the, 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 The way that they love their wife, you love your wife too, like that. The, the, the way that they spend their money, you spend your money like that. The way they read their Bible, you read your Bible like they do. The, the way that they serve in ministry, the, you serve in ministry just like that. The place that they go on vacation, you go on vacation just like they go on vacation. They are set to be a person to follow. And so The warning here is, hey, don't do this too fast. You have to take this seriously because if you lay hands on a guy, if you identify a new elder, and he's not qualified because you didn't just pay att- you didn't pay attention. You were just kind of doing it too fast. You just needed somebody. You're trying to find the next guy. You really liked him, whatever. And you didn't pay attention. You didn't focus on it. You didn't you didn't vet him. And he causes damage in your church. You own that before God. Then on the flip side of that, if the elder board that current group of elders they spend their time, they take it seriously, they vet this guy, they put him through the ringer, they spend time in getting to know him, and then if over time that guy does go rogue and, and in some way disqualifies himself, that they don't own the responsibility anymore because they took it seriously, they did the work, that guy still owns his own stuff. The rest of the elder, elders don't own that. And so now maybe you could see why that we don't take nominations for elders at Grace Community Church. A lot of churches do that. A lot of churches take nominations where there's certain time of the year where you can write on your little card that you put in the offering back at the end of the service of somebody that you think should be an elder. And the reason that we don't do that is you've got to give us time because we gotta, we're responsible to God for that. We've got to own it before God, and so it's going to take us a little longer maybe than it would somebody else to identify as somebody else that would be an elder. There's a story of a, of a church here in Southern California uh, they, they were in need of a pastor and so they found a pastor uh, back east in another state and they started to put him through the, the interview process that they had set up at their church. It wasn't terribly thorough and what they didn't know was that the reason that he had left his last church was because he had an affair with a woman in the church and it was just kind of brushed under the rug. Yeah, he left and you know, just kind of moved on and this church here in Southern California did not know that and so they look at his resume, and he's like a Ph.D., and oh man, we've never had a Ph.D. This is gonna up our game in our church. And the interview with the elders was so great, and when he comes and guest speaks, the entire church loves him, and got lots of good stories. But they didn't do their time in vetting this guy, so they bring him on the pastoral staff, and he picked up right where he left off, he had another affair with a woman in that church, crushed her family, and it almost killed the church. And those elders... <laughs> they're like, please don't let me die soon, <laughs> because they're going to own it. Before, they have to account for that before God, because they didn't take this whole thing seriously. So now remember, this is being written to a young pastor, Timothy, and he wants to be, he doesn't want to be that guy, you know? He doesn't want to be the guy that's disqualified. Who would be, you know? And so he wants to be above board. That's the word that, that Paul uses, being above reproach. And so he Timothy wants to be above reproach in everything, and so he committed to not even drinking alcohol at all because one of the qualifications is don't get drunk, and so he's like, okay, I'm not going to drink. I'm just going to abstain from alcohol altogether, and I can identify with Timothy because I've committed to that exact same thing, and, and the reason that I've committed to that is not because it makes me a better Christian, not because it says it in the Bible, not because they pay me more to do that. The reason that I've committed not to drink alcohol is simply because I don't know everybody in our church and all of their histories. And if I am someone to be followed, I don't want someone coming over to my house on July 4th to watch the fireworks and then open my refrigerator and I don't know their history of alcoholism and they open my refrigerator and there's some alcohol in my refrigerator I, I don't I don't want them to go through their mind, oh well yeah, my alcoholism was before I was a Christian. Maybe now that I'm a believer, even the pastor drinks, maybe I should should do that too. I don't even I don't want to lead people even at all in that direction. I don't even I don't sit in bars at a restaurant because I don't want people to come in. I see people from Grace Community Church all the time, wherever we go. And I don't want people to assume that I'm drinking, not because drinking is is immoral or illegal or unbiblical. I don't want to lead anybody in a way that is already prohibited to them because they already know that they're addicted to that. They will know that it's going to lead them down the right. And I don't even want to give them the impression that the pastor doesn't, so I should do it too. So Timothy was like that. He'd committed to that. And yet the water in the first century was not all that it could be. That's why that one verse, verse 23, is stuck in there. almost like It's almost like it doesn't fit. But it does fit. Verse 23, it says, no longer drink water exclusively, but use a little wine for the sake of your stomach and your frequent ailments. Wine wasn't used to get drunk. Wine was alcohol that was mixed uh, with water to kill the germs in the water. The water that was untreated causing dysentery. Timothy had dysentery and so his, uh, his stomach was always messed up. And so Paul says hey it'd be good for you to, to kill the germs in the water so that when you come to preach you're, it, it's hard to preach when you ha- when you have a sick stomach. It's hard to be a pastor when you have a sick stomach. So it won't disqualify you. That's the point. It won't disqualify you as an elder of the church to drink alcohol. You just can't get drunk but you need to be a good pastor so Put some wine in there to kill the germs so that you can be a good pastor. And so then the next two verses, verses 23 and 24, are are all about the way, or 24 and 25, are all about the way that a group of elders selects another elder. And verse 24 is all about the the sin, the, the, the the bad side that you would notice. And verse 25 is all about the good things that you would know, so let's work through this. In verse 24 it says, the sins of some men are quite evident, meaning they got a bad reputation when they show up, okay? That they have bad character already, you can see it coming a mile away, it's fine for them to be in the church, it's fine for them to to spiritually mature, and they need to spiritually mature, Okay. it's fine for them to be in your church, it's fine for them to serve in various aspects of your ministry maybe, but they, their character is obvious, don't spend any more time thinking about that guy for an elder. But there's another type of person too, it says, for others though, their sins follow laughter. Okay, so this is the guy that has a great first impression. Come to Grace Community Church, brings his family join Grace Community Church quickly as, as uh, the church family membership. Uh, they give sacrificially, uh, financially. They, they serve in our kids' ministry. Their family's loved by our church. And, and a year later, like, man, why wouldn't he be an elder? Eh? And the reason that he wouldn't be an elder is because some of that stuff doesn't come out. Bad character doesn't always come out immediately. And so take your time. Take your time, because after some vetting, it's certainly possible that you might notice things that nobody else knew about that guy, that nobody else noticed about that guy. And so he would disqualify himself from being an elder slowly over time, simply because you just watched him slowly. And then the flip side of that, of good character, then it talks about good character, good deeds, good deeds are quite evident too. You can watch somebody, you can see their actions and begin to notice what type of person he is. And the longer that you spin around him, the more that you can see what kind of person he is. So you begin to spend time with his family, you see the way that he treats his wife, you see the way that he disciplines his kids, you watch the way that he is committed to his job, the way that he is committed to his church, and slowly over time you can see the things that he does, and you can identify him, yeah, that's the right guy. He, he's fitting all the things and over a long period of time, we don't see any issues, we see the good things that he is doing, he might be a candidate for that, and who knows, maybe there'll be somebody that has to take a long, long time, he's almost like a diamond in the rough, you know, and it takes, you have to peel off a lot of layers to find out what kind of character that guy really has, and so it just takes some time. And so these are the two ways that a church selects its elders that you can identify if your church is a mature one or it's not. They take elder selection seriously, one, and two, they evaluate that person over a long period of time. The whole point is, bad character is going to come out if it's going to come out. It it might take some time, so be patient, and if you don't notice any bad character, great. Maybe you found a candidate to be an elder. But if over time some bad character comes out, you know, stressful times, that's where bad character comes out, stress, when there's disagreements, Uh, when things aren't going the way that they should be, that's really where bad character really comes out. And just watch. And if bad character does come out, good! (laughs) Now you don't have to own it before God. You can say, okay, he's not going to be an elder. I'm not going to own that one before God in our church. So either way, whatever you find over time is a good thing. Remember, there are two ways of identifying mature church. One is the way that they select their leaders. And secondly, it's the way that they treat their elders, the way they select them and the way that they treat them. And when I'm talking about elders, I'm not talking about olders, okay? I'm not talking about old people in the church. I'm talking about the office, the position, the biblical position of elder in the church. This so is am not talking about older people. We talked last week about how Christians deal with people who are older than them. So do, last week, do that, okay? So an elder might be older than you, an elder might be younger than you age really has nothing to do with being an elder at all okay and so here we're talking about the way that a church treats its elders okay so look at verse 17 back to the top of our um the part that we're studying from today verse 17 the elders who rule well are to be considered worthy of double honor especially those who work hard at preaching and teaching, and so the church, meaning everyone in the church, is to honor all of the elders. All, all elders are to be honored. And that word honored mean, it means exactly what you think that it means. It means respect. It means admiration. It means uh, submitting to them. It means following them. That's the word honor. And there are some elders that get double that. Double the, double the honor. But why would you, as somebody in church, why would you honor your elders? Well, Hebrews tells us why. This is what Hebrews says. Obey your leaders, your spiritual leaders, and submit to them, for they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Did you know that the elders of your church are going to give an account before God for the spiritual protection of your soul? They are going to stand before God for the counsel that they gave, for the prayers that they prayed, for the, for the way that they diverted the, the church around some really bad theology or some really sketchy situations or kept men off the board that shouldn't have been on the board or brought them on when they shouldn't have brought, been brought on. The elders are going to own that before God. That's one of the benefits of being a member of a church is that you have a spiritual protection and people watching out for you more than just yourself when it comes to your spirituality. And then it says, though, to to the rest of us, it says, Let them, let those elders who are going to own this before God, let them do this with joy and not grief. Don't give them a hard time. They already are responsible to God for this. Don't give them a hard time in all of this, for this wouldn't be profitable for you. A spiritually mature church is going to honor, respect, admire, and make it easy for the elders to serve in their ministry at a, at a church. And those immature churches are going to give their elders a really hard time, and it's not going to be profitable for them at all. Let's get back to that verse 17 where not just all elders are honored, but some of them get this double, double doozy, the double down, you know, this double honor. Who is it that gets the double honor? Well, we just keep reading there and it tells us a little bit about who gets this double honor, especially those who work hard at preaching and teaching, so this is referring to an elder in the church that takes the main responsibility of teaching and of preaching, also known as a pastor, all right? So this part is kind of, that's a little embarrassing for me, I'm gonna (laughs) speed through this just because I'm talking about myself here, Um, but do you know the difference between preaching and teaching? Teaching is telling you what this means, that's teaching, so you understand God's word better, that helps elevate your game, that helps you, you develop spiritually in the church, spiritually. Um, but preaching then is, this is how you go do it, okay? This is what it means, now let's go do it. Hey, everybody, let's, let's go. Let, this, is, this is where we need to go, how we need to get this done. We need to apply this to our lives, preaching and teaching. That's the difference between those two things. And so, that's what we're talking about here, is the preaching and the teaching. You might be wondering, why would a pastor get this thing called double honor? Because isn't, isn't he supposed to be serving in the church? Isn't he supposed to be submissive in his church? And absolutely, the pastor's goal is to serve his church. But then the people in the church give him the double down, the double doozy. Why? Because he's serving two roles in the church. He's serving as an elder, uh, setting spiritual direction for the church and protecting and and owning this before God and counseling and being an example for other people to follow. So, So that's the single honor. All elders are to be honored, all of them. And then, though he is also serving in a second capacity, he is studying the Bible every single day, learning from it so that he, you can understand it better, so that you can apply it in your life, so that you can mature spiritually. That's the whole purpose of our Sunday mornings, by the way, is, is to equip Christians. To, that, that's a, a job description, In my job description is to be an equipper of the saints, to, to give people what they need to be godly people. And so that's what Sunday mornings is like. So you might not be a Christian. You might be watching on a live stream thinking, what does this have to do with me? Well, primarily on Sundays, it is teaching the Bible and preaching it so that Christians can mature spiritually. And so because of the double doozy, now you have the double honor. Yes, you respect him. Yes, you admire him. Yes, you follow him. But then there's also the double. What's the double? What's the, the next part of this? Well, that you would pay him, that he would be paid. And that's the next verse. Look at verse 18. It says, for the scripture says, you shall not muzzle the ox while he's threshing, and the laborer is worthy of his wages. There are six places in the New Testament where this word honor is connected to financial support. I don't necessarily like being correlated to an ox, but whatevs. (laughs) The point is, is if there's somebody who's qualified, if there is somebody who has the gift to teach and to preach the, the Bible, if possible, pay the guy. And here's why. If the Bible is that important to you, you are going to want someone studying it and preparing and focusing and giving wise counsel all the time. If you were a church that is spiritually mature that cares as much about the Bible as you should, you're gonna pay the guy so that he could devote his mind, devote his attention, devote his focus to that because the Bible is that important. Now, some churches aren't able to do that. Some churches can't afford to do that and so then their pastor's would be known as tent makers. Not like we're going to REI and sewing up some, some tents, you know, but that's an old school phrase, the tent maker. That's an old school phrase going all the way back to the first century when the apostles, that, that's what they would do is they would, they'd work during the day and then on the evenings and weekends, that's then when they would have their ministry. But the goal is, hey, pay the guy. Uh, he, he's worthy of the work that he's putting into it. If the Bible is that important, you'll know that you're in a church when the pastor is paid Because that church is focusing money behind the study, preparation, teaching, and preaching of of the Bible. And so that's the first way that a church treats its elders. They honor them. And some of them, they double honor. But there's another side of it too. The way that they discipline their elders. Look at the next couple of verses. Verse 19. Do not receive an accusation against an elder except... On the basis of two or three witnesses. Those who continue in sin rebuke in the presence of all so that the rest also will be fearful of sinning. I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus and his chosen angels to maintain these principles without bias, doing nothing in a spirit of partiality. All the way up to this point, you're like, man, I want to be an elder. I want to be an elder. I mean, look, you, you get honored. People are following you around. You get paid. You get Mercedes. You get jets. I mean, it's awesome to be an elder. And then you read this little passage about getting disciplined. And you're like, eh, never mind. I'm good. <laughs> Don't worry about it anymore. There are three aspects to treating your elders in this way. How do you discipline your elders in the church? Well, the first one is, is in verse 19, right where we are. Okay, That it's based on fact, not based on speculation. It's based on, on fact, not rumor. It's based on fact, not, um, not what somebody hears. Not, it's based on fact, not on gossip. The discipline would happen based on fact, not on the gossip that happens around church. Elders are always the target. In a church, el- elders are always the target if Satan wants to take a church down, he is going to start with the elders. That's, what he, that's how he's going to do it. And it starts always with accusations, just rumors, uh, disgruntled people, unhappy people, people who they didn't get the way they wanted it when they wanted it, and so now, uh, now they're just throwing these uh, false accusations against the wall to see what's going to stick. And a mature church is not going to bite. A mature church isn't going to pay attention to the rumors against an elder. A mature church isn't going to pay attention to, uh, to the gossip about what somebody said about something, something that they did. They're not going to pay attention to that. Of course, this isn't to make light of an elder who does disqualify himself, who does sin in a way that disqualifies himself. This is simply talking about the, the false rumors that, that just... That, that just hit the wall, the, the frivolous things that just are thrown out there. This prevents a church from going down a lot of weird ways and trying to, trying to always catch up on rumors, okay? And so, first, in discipline, it's never based on rumor. It's based on, on facts. But it is important. If you know of an elder who is disqualifying himself, and I'll tell you what disqualify means, so you'll know how to, how to see this. If there is an elder that is disqualifying himself, it is important that you tell another elder. It's important that you do. And you're like, well, I don't have two or three other people and and I don't have a a ton of evidence and I don't have a a caseload that I can can bring to the elders. If you know that it's true, you come and tell an elder because you don't know the other conversations that we're having with other people in church. And it's possible that someone has come to us and has told us about something and now the, the Elder Board is considering those things and researching it and looking for some uh, corroboration from somewhere else. And here you come not knowing about, I mean, we're not, we're not going to tell people about those conversations that we're having. You don't know. And so if you come and say, hey, this is what I know. And here's, here's the things that I know and I can show you. And, and I just thought you should know those things. And now all of a sudden, if there is corroboration among these things, if there is now proof That group of elders is going to lower the boom on that elder, and they're going to do it publicly. It's not going to be private. You're like, man, that's brutal. I didn't make it up. Paul did. Look at the next verse, verse 20. Verse 20, those who continue in sin, meaning that elder who is continuing in this way of disqualifying himself, those who continue in sin rebuke in the presence of all, so that the rest... Also, will be fearful of sinning. So, let's make some qualifying statements about this verse. Paul is not saying that elders are going to be perfect. Okay? If you're looking for a church where the pastors are perfect, move on from Grace Community Church. You'll keep moving until you hit heaven. Okay? If you're looking for a church where the elders are perfect, you will keep searching until you enter heaven. Okay? Because you will never find a church where the elders are perfect. Elders are people, and they will still sin. Obviously, the goal is that they would sin less and less as they mature in Christ, just like everybody else. But it's possible that an elder is still going to say something that they shouldn't say. That is certainly possible. And so this isn't referring to any sin. This isn't referring to any act that is ungodly. Because if that was the case, you'd be turning everyone in all the time. <laughs> it, it just, it, it'd be a long trail of he said, and, and they did, and I saw this. It, it's, not, it's not that. It's something else. Remember what the word sin actually means. The word sin means something, and it means to miss the mark. That's the word sin. Okay? God has the standards, and when you miss the mark, that's Sin. Of course, God's standard is perfection for people, and so when we miss the mark, we sin, and that sin separates us from God for all of eternity. But we're not talking about all ungodly actions. This is missing the mark. Now the question, though, is missing what mark? Missing what mark? You know what mark an elder is already aiming for. You just didn't know it, but we've already studied it. If you turn your page over, one to the left... It is in 1 Timothy 3. First Timothy 3 is the mark that an elder is going for. It, that, it is the mark that, that they are aiming at. It is the list of qualifications for an elder. The 10 qualifications that we studied several weeks ago is the mark. And if there is some elder that continues to miss the mark, continues to disqualify himself in one of these ten areas, then he should not be an elder anymore. Let's just take, for example, we've been talking about drinking, so let's pick that one. You know, one of the, one of the qualifications for being an elder is that he never gets drunk. And so, maybe you find out that elders getting drunk. I don't know how you find that out, but you do. And so you do exactly what Matthew 18 tells us to do. You'd first go to him in private and talk to him about it. Maybe there's something you didn't understand. Maybe there's something you didn't see. I don't know. So you go talk to him about it. But if that elder really isn't interested in talking with you, then it is important that you would let the rest of the elders know. Because as soon as this elder misses the mark of these 10 areas that are outlined in chapter three, as soon as they, they miss the mark, they no longer measure up anymore. And that elder board needs to do something about it. It means they have missed the mark. They have continued in sin, and this elder board needs to do something about it. They're gonna lower the boom on this guy. They're gonna out him publicly. Okay. That's what this verse is talking about. Okay, Look at it. It says, rebuke in the presence of all. You're gonna out his indiscretion publicly. Not all of his deep, dark secrets, none of those things, but the... the 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 issue that is at hand, you're gonna out him in front of everyone. And you're like, man, that seems brutal. That seems unfair. That uh, that that seems like are we shaming him for the for the joy of it? It seems like it's gonna hurt his family. Uh, why pub- why don't you just dismiss him yeah he probably shouldn't be an elder he doesn't meet the qualifications but why don't you just you know kind of move him off to the side and and kind of un-elderboard him and just kind of move on with life but what does everybody have to know well there's two reasons why everybody has to know reason number one if the church doesn't know that he has been disqualified there's a whole bunch of confusion is he worthy of honor or not Is he worthy of being followed or not? Because if you don't tell everybody, don't follow the guy, I have already told you, follow our elders. And so it's very possible that people in the church could be led into the same indiscretion that the elder is being removed for, and they don't even know they're doing it wrong because an elder is doing it, and no one's told them, don't follow that guy. You see the problem with that? And so that's one reason why he has to be outed so that the rest of the people in the church don't go and do the same thing that he's doing that he shouldn't be doing. Second reason, it's even better, and it's in this verse. The second reason you would out them publicly is here. So that the rest, now who's the rest? The rest is not the entire church. The rest is the rest of the elder board so that the rest also will be fearful of sinning. Once you publicly out one guy, all the other guys are like, oh, <laughs> my indiscretions are going to be made public. Maybe I shouldn't indiscretion. <laughs> now that's a healthy fear, isn't it? That is a beneficial type of fear. Scaring an elder of being publicly outed for, un- for disqualifying himself And so that he pulls himself back, regulates himself, and so he doesn't do that thing is a very healthy fear. That is the two reasons why you would publicly out an elder in a church. I know that's not done very often. Maybe I should clarify, what does publicly out mean? What what does this mean, rebuke in the presence of all? What does this mean? Does it mean like on Sunday morning during announcement time, you just get up and, you just say, that man! Go, go beat him up right in his chair! Okay? That sounds fun, but that's not what it is. The, 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 this isn't a public beating, this isn't public shaming, this isn't go key his car in the parking lot, it's none of that stuff. The, the goal in discipline every time in the Bible in a church, the purpose of discipline in a church every time is to get that guy to reconcile, to come back to God, to to apologize to God. Jesus washes his feet clean. He's never lost his salvation. He's still going to heaven, but his fellowship is broken, and he needs to reconcile to God first, and then hopefully, now with a more contrite heart, a more humble heart, he would come and apologize to the people in the church that he's broken some sort of relationship with. And he would reconcile to God, he would reconcile to the church, and his family would continue to go to that church. Probably he doesn't qualify as an elder anymore. But that doesn't mean that he couldn't serve in some aspect of ministry, that his family couldn't be loved, and he couldn't love being in a church family. The goal is always to reunify someone with Christ. And if someone is wandering away, even if it's an elder, The best thing to do is to discipline them so they realize it. They realize, man, it is costing me way too much to do this thing. I'm just going to stop doing it, so I don't have to pay the price anymore. That is a healthy thing. And so you're like, well, how would would you do that? Well, we wouldn't do it during announcements on a Sunday morning because we have people in our church who aren't even Christians. We have people come on Sunday morning who... Have no identity to Grace Community Church at all. They're visiting with somebody or whatever. We have kids. And let's just say some reasons that you would disqualify an elder is like PG 18, you know? And so that's why our member, one of the qualifications for being a member at Grace is that you would be at least 18. Because then we can communicate with those adults and tell them exactly what's going on with that person. And so we would communicate with the members at Grace Community Church, and tell them that this man's been removed for this reason so that, no, so that everybody knows don't follow him in that area. Okay? It doesn't mean that we shun him. This is out of love. We want him to come back. We want him to be a part. We want him to stop doing the thing that he's doing. And so, secondly, they publicly out. And finally, the last one, they, there is no partiality they, there is no preferential treatment. Look at verse 21. Verse 21, it says, I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and Jesus Christ and his chosen angels. So this is like all of heaven cares about this so much. Okay? They are so concerned about the quality of the leadership. It says, and charging the presence of God and Jesus Christ and his chosen angels to maintain these principles. What principles? What principles? we've already talked about today, to maintain these principles without bias, doing nothing in the spirit of partiality. If If a elder board, if a church keeps an elder on the board, even though he's disqualified himself, they they keep him on because they're kind of partial to the guy. They like him. You know, I mean, he was a founding member of the church, and he gives a lot of money, and he teaches our Sunday school for goodness sakes, and we all love him. He's been a friend for a long, long time, and I mean, that thing is it's not, it's not that big a deal. I, yes, it's disqualifying, I guess, technically, but we're we're gonna let that one pass. That is preferential treatment, and when you do that, you lose God's respect. The the elder board, the church loses God's respect. Heaven is so concerned about the quality of leadership in a church that you lose the respect of God when you don't do these things, okay? And so here's, here's the recap, okay? The way that a church treats its elders. They honor their elders. They respect them. They, they honor them. They admire them. They, they follow them. They make it easy on their elders, okay? But they also discipline their elders, based on fact, not rumor, publicly, so that no one else follows them, no preference of treatment, all the elders get treated the exact same way in all of these things. And so this is how you would know if you were in a mature church. This is how you would know the way that it, elders are selected, is it taken seriously, and are those people evaluated over a long period of time. And I know sometimes for people who are, who are attending a church, you don't quite realize or know how long the elder board has been watching. You know, It just shows up on your ballot one year and like, oh, well, they found a new guy. Well, we've been watching that guy for years and years and years and years and years, watching the way that he treats his kids, watching the way that he treats his wife, watching how many, does he cycle through a lot of jobs, always you know, quitting and coming back or always getting fired and finding something new, just watching the way he serves in ministry, the way he does things. And then, of course, the other side of that, the way that they are treated, does the church treat their elders with respect? Or are they always talking bad about their elders and don't really care about the role of the elder in the church? And uh, hopefully the goal is that if you if you do the first, you never have to deal with the second. You know? If you take it seriously, spend a long time to find the right elder, the goal is that you would never have to discipline anybody <laughs> because you found the right guys the first time. And I already mentioned to you that the spiritual quality of a church does not rest solely on the back of a pastor. And the spiritual maturity of a church does not solely rest on the back of the elders. That, that no church can ever grow higher than the spiritual commitment of the people that are in that church. Does that make sense? that no church can be more spiritually mature than the spiritual commitment of the people in that church. You know, some, some churches are like total like spectator. <laughs> They're like spectator places. You show up, and you get entertained, and you get inspired, and you feel good, <laughs> and you go home as spiritually weak as when you came, but you feel good about it. But that's not the goal. The goal is spiritual maturity, that next year, we all, all of us, even the kids in the room, we would be more spiritually mature, more committed to things of Christ next year, same time, next Father's Day, than we were this Father's Day. That is the goal for every single one of us. And I hope you would aspire to that same thing. That is our goal as the elders of our church, to bring you to that place. Now, spiritual maturity doesn't just happen. It starts off. There's got to be a beginning And we already read that verse about some of you are still babies in Christ, and you're still drinking the milk, and you're not eating in your ribs yet. That's where it all starts. Everybody starts as a baby in Christ. They hear the thing about Jesus, and then they're saved. They're adopted into God's family as a spiritual infant learning the basics, and then they mature. And so maybe you're at that point. Maybe you haven't heard the thing about Christ in a long time, or maybe this is the first time, or maybe you're on our live stream, and someone asks you to watch, and and here's the thing about Jesus. Jesus is God that came to earth to die on the cross for your sins. That, that he, he loved you so much that he died for your sins. There's really only two ways that sin is dealt with. It's either eternity in hell for the person who's committed even just one sin. I mean, did you ever disobey your mom when you were like three? All right, you missed a mark, done. Unholy. God is righteous and just and perfect. That is the standard. There's no like kind of good and better than that guy. Just one thing, boom, you're done. And so either you can spend eternity in hell yourself paying your own fine. But Jesus came out of heaven. He lived a perfect life. He got to the cross. And so as he's dying on the cross, he's not paying for his own sin. He's paying for the sins of the world my sin and your sin now just because jesus dies on the cross does not mean that everybody in the world is saved that is heresy called universalism that is absolutely not taught in the bible but jesus does die on the cross for the world and now every individual person has the choice has the decision to put their faith and trust in this jesus to make them their savior saving them rescuing them from hell Jesus washes your feet clean when you make that decision. Your sins are washed away. You are wrapped in Jesus' robes of righteousness. And when you die, you have eternity in heaven instead of hell. That's the good news. So maybe you'd like to put your faith and trust in Jesus. The next thing that happens after all that, the Holy Spirit comes and lives inside of you and then helps you to live a life honoring to to Jesus. That's this whole spiritual maturity thing. It's the Holy Spirit. Those of you who put your faith in Jesus before, you have the Holy Spirit living inside of you. And so when I, when I preach or when you learn something from the Bible, you're like, oh, I don't like what he said or he's pointing at me or he's looking at me or how come he knows about me? That's not, uh, it's not me. That's the Holy Spirit just poking. Hey, 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 this is the way where you need to mature now. Time to grow up in this area, okay? Time, time to get better in this area. That's the Holy Spirit's work. And he is the one that changes you. You don't need to pull up your bootstraps. You don't need to be a good person before you come to Jesus because he will change you into the person that he wants you to be. That's the good news of the gospel. You don't have to be good. You're already bad. You already know it. But Jesus died on the cross for you anyway. And all you need to do is change your mind about who Jesus is. Do you believe that he is the Savior? Do you believe that he is God? Do you believe that he died on the cross for your sin? Well, you talk to God about that. You don't tell me. You talk to God. So I'm going to ask all of you to bow your heads and close your eyes for just a minute. Whether you are going to heaven or you're not sure or you know you're not, whether you're a Christian or not, if you'd bow your heads and close your eyes, this creates a little separation between you and the person next to you for just a minute. And you can consider these things. Have you ever put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ? Do you know that you're going to heaven when you die? Do you know that you have God's Holy Spirit living inside of you and helping you spiritually mature or not? Today's a day that you can know. You can know it. And all you do is you talk to God in the quietness of your own heart. You don't need to say anything out loud. The person next to you doesn't need to know anything about what you're saying to God. This is what you talk to God. Quietness of your own heart and mind. You say, Dear God, I, I know that I've sinned. I know that I'm not perfect. I know that I'm not holy. I know that I'm not righteous. And so I need a savior, someone to rescue me from my sin because I do not want to spend eternity in hell. And I believe that message of Jesus. I believe that Jesus is God. I believe that he lived a perfect life. I believe that when he went to the cross, he wasn't paying for his sin. I, I know that he was paying for mine. And so I put my faith in this Jesus. I put my trust in this Jesus. I put my eternity in the hands of this Jesus. And the immediate promise is that God the Holy Spirit comes and lives inside of you. Now, most of you have put your faith in Jesus before at some time in the past. Now, the question for you is, are you maturing? Are you growing up? Or are you, can you look back, and you, if you're honest with yourself, you could look back and say, yeah, I really haven't. I'm not much more mature than I was a year ago or the year before that. Today would be a day to commit to, to, to Jesus. Your desire to grow spiritually, to to learn more, to understand more. And he'll answer this prayer. This is what you could say to God. You could say, God, I want to grow spiritually. I want to, I need to up my game. And I need your help to do that. Please help me in this. God, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the direction that it gives us. I thank you for the hope that it provides each one of us, even in seemingly hopeless days. Your word, your truth, the gospel of Jesus gives us hope that we wouldn't have otherwise. And so we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.